0: Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. All right, Titus chapter 3, everybody, if you would. Uh, And if you don't, if, if you didn't come in with the Bible, there's one right in front of you. It'll be on page 784 or 998. One request of you this morning, don't be a lazy screen Christian for the first part. You can be lazy in the back, but I need you with paper in front of you for the for kind of the kickoff. Um, my name's Will. I'm one of the pastors here. Over the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about church planting. Um, I'm really excited about this sermon. In a sense, I've been looking forward to it for a number of weeks. In another sense, I've been looking forward to it for a number of years. And in another sense, I remember um, being 12 years old, sitting in the congregation when I, I was just starting to fall in love with God's word and talking to people about it. And we weren't in here. This was a, a department store. But I was sitting like right over there in my, in my church, and I remember thinking, man, if I become a pastor my first sermon is going to be Matthew 6. We're not doing Matthew 6, but I might. Who knows? That might be the first one. And so there, there's kind of been this build-up. It was one of those mornings, I don't know if y'all do this, where you look at your kind of calendar of what's coming up in your day, and I gave my deodorant sort of a sideways look like, I don't know if you can handle it today, man. Do y'all ever do that? Do You ever look and you're just like, I don't know. I don't know if you're going to be able to keep up. So, so we'll see. We'll see. I'm really excited about this. Um, before I pray, let me, let me just say one thing. Um, this is not a commercial. This is not an infomercial. This is not an advertisement for the church plant. At, at its base, here's my hope. My hope is that we dig into God's word, which we love, That people who have not heard God's word and do not know God's word would see a God who loves them. And then that would spur us on into a gospel that goes on mission, whatever that means for us. Um, That's my goal. And then to share just my heart with you um, about church planning. So so that's my study. That's my prayer. That's my hope. And that's my prep. And that's what we're going to get busy doing. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this very moment, I I, I pray. And I know that in your sovereign will, you, you knew each person that was going to be here. You knew each note that was going to be on a page. You also knew each distraction and each brokenness and each darkness that we walked into wrestling with. And I just pray that this would be a Holy Spirit-saturated place where the gospel is so prominent that all of us can have the freedom to lay down our burdens at the foot of the cross, behold Jesus Christ and his word, and live lives being on mission for that very gospel that saves. I pray for people and I hope there are people in this room right now that are not believers. I hope that there are people who have walked in for any number of reasons. And God, I I pray that they would see who Jesus is and the work that he did on the cross and that you would rescue them this morning. And for those of us who have responded to the gospel, I, I, I pray that we would shake off some of the rust maybe, some some of the ash that is built up, and, and, and instead we would be breathed into by your spirit, fresh wind, that, that the ember of the spirit that you put in us through your Holy Spirit would shine brighter and would do exactly what you created us to do. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, guys. So Titus 3 is where we're going to be. Hopefully you're already there. But I only have one main point. That one main point breaks down. But I'm I'm just going to give you all the notes right now. This is it on the back screen. All right. The gospel of grace motivates us to go and love others. And it breaks down in four different ways, okay? So number one, the gospel of grace. That's that's where we're starting in Titus 3, focusing on grace. Number two, motivates us, motivates people like us, not just all kinds of people, different backgrounds and things, but, but all different types of people spiritually, where we are and what God is calling us to do, that it motivates us to go, Matthew, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, and then love others. We're gonna circle right back around to Titus 3. Titus 3's become like my favorite chapter over the past couple of months, and uh, I I love it. I can't get enough of it. So here we go, Titus 3. We're going to start in verse 3, if you would, and follow along with me. Titus chapter 3, verse 3. Titus would have been a ministry associate of Paul, sort of like a young staff guy, and we're going to see two different worlds in this one little block of Scripture, starting in verse 3. How? By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Why? Whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope. Of eternal life. So, if you didn't pick up on it, right in the middle of that, there is this "but God" moment, and on the left side of it, we we sort of have the left side of the life of anybody who's responded to the gospel, and it's laid out in a a number of different ways: different, different uh, master, different passions, different desires that we were slaves. Then, right in the middle of it, Jesus shows up. But God showed us love through Jesus Christ, and then this really neat word called the loving kindness of God appears. Did y'all see that? Everybody look one more time. You can't miss this in verse four. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us. Now, okay, so here's where I said I want everybody on paper. Is everybody on paper? I want you to see how much Paul talks about work. Now, he's writing to Titus. Titus is a young guy. I don't get from the context that it's the spirit of millennialism. I don't think this is a guy who's like living in mom's basement. I don't get the, the idea that this is a guy who's like, I I've just, I, I, I can't find a job that... I can, I can work 10 hours a week and, and make, you know, $4,000 $4, a month. I, I just haven't been able to find it. Holding out for a management position right now. And so, and so we, we have in this Paul who's talking to a young guy and he's telling him to work. Let me show you how much he's telling him to work. All right, if you're in paper, last verse of chapter 2. All right, here we go. Verse 14, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Drop down the very next verse. Verse 1 of chapter 3, remind them. So he's saying, Titus, I'm telling you so that you'll tell other people. And the thought is that you will tell other people who then tell other people that in this family of faith they would know, remind them, to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient and to be ready for every good work. Drop all the way now to verse 8. This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, Titus. Young guy who's getting a, a, a church moving and going so that those who have believed in God may be careful to do what? to devote themselves to good works. Why? Because these things are excellent and profitable for people. Drop all the way down, almost the last verse of this chapter, verse 14. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. Now, the coolest part about that is not just that Paul's like, okay, be on work. Okay, Titus, this is going to be a job. Christians, you have a work to do. The coolest part isn't even that. The coolest part is what sits in the middle of it. Because over here we've got work, and we've got work, and over here we've got work, and we've got work. But right in the middle, in verse 4, we see this. But when the goodness of, and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works. Work, 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 work. He's not saving you because of works. And then what it does is it points to Jesus, verse 7, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs. So as Paul is writing this to Timothy, all eyes up for a minute on this. As Paul is writing to, to Titus, excuse me, he's saying work and work. And it's important that you work because it's diligent and it's good. And it brings about all of these wonderful things that God wants for you and he wants for the church and he wants for people. But here's the deal. The work that it is based in is the greatest work that was ever done. It's a work that you couldn't do. It's a work that you didn't have a hope of doing. It's a work of Jesus Christ justifying sinners. And that is smack dab right in the middle of it, as though, not as though, but because Paul is saying every work that, and by the way, if you've been at Crosspoint Point for three weeks, you know this, right? Like this is the what this is like the little kiddie pool that we swim in, right? You can't earn this thing. If you haven't figured this out, you haven't been listening, right? But what but what I want us to see is that there's something. In in addition to that, it's not just that we can't earn it. It's that the work that Jesus did was the greatest work that the cosmos has ever seen. The work that Jesus did on the cross is the greatest work that the cosmos will ever see. For those of us who will spend time in heaven with God for eternity, there will be no greater work than the work that was already done. And Paul looks at Titus and he says to him, here's the deal, that's the platform, that's the fount. From the justification of Christ, you go and work. And from the justification of Christ, you go and you get on mission. From the justification of Christ, you go and you love people. It's all about this and it's all about grace. The gospel of grace. This is a work that is fueled by a reliance on the Holy Spirit. I like Paul. I like Paul because he gets cocky, but I know he's not really. Um, 1 Corinthians 15. Flip over there if you would, it'll appear behind me. 1 Corinthians 15. In verse 8. So now Paul's talking about himself, he's talking about his ministry and what he's called to. And he says this, verse 8 I'll let flip. Now y'all are all dedicated to pages this morning. I hear more page flipping. Wow, all right. That was not, you can't count that as one of, my, one of my convicting points. I have a really good one. You can't count that one, okay? You gotta save that. Verse eight, last of all, Paul talking about himself, last of all, as one untimely born. Now there's a lot tucked into this word, but it basically means undeserving in a sense of birth. Last of all, as to one untimely born. Jesus, he appeared also to me, for I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, grace of God, notice the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain, and now he's circling back around, check this out, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Well, any of who? Well, if you look back, what he's actually talking about are the disciples, Easy, Paul, getting a little cocky here. I mean, I know you write a lot in the New Testament. I worked harder than all of them. And then he takes it another step. I worked harder than, than uh, James. I worked harder than the half-blood brother of Jesus who grew up with him. I've worked harder than all of these people. Sounds a little cocky, doesn't it? But tucked into this, y'all aren't responding to me. Does that not sound cocky to you? Did you not read this as a kid and say, should that really be in there? Right? Right? Because when I read it, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. And then, of course, he gets to, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. And you go, okay, all right, we'll leave it. We'll we'll let it stick. But what's the point? What is Paul actually saying here? Notice this in verse 10. But by the grace of God. That first point, it is the gospel of grace that motivates us. Us, and by us I mean people like us and I mean people like Paul because as soon as he thinks about the gospel of grace, which was not in vain in his life, he looks and he says, I am what I am. I was a God-hating, persecuting, blasphemer. That's who I was. That's it. And so if I'm a guy that gets my stuff put in the book, if I'm a guy that's encouraging young men into ministry, if I'm a guy that gets to do all of this incredible ministry and mission and give my life for the gospel, it can't be because of me. Look at who I was. And so all that Paul is doing is he's saying, do you see the grace? Do you see the grace? Do you see the grace of God poured out in my life? This is a gospel of grace, but it's also a personal calling. And that was always Paul's heart. It, if you look at Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, almost everyone, Timothy, Titus, almost every one of those letters that Paul writes, it starts almost the exact same way. Paul, and apostle, right? And apostle, by the will of God, for the gospel. It's something along those lines. Check out Romans 1.1. That's the only one we're going to look at this morning. But I want you to see how Paul, being motivated by this gospel, saw himself. This is Romans 1.1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Just read that again. Now I want you to think about yourself. Because what Paul is going to tell us is, it's not just because I'm Paul. Remember, I was a jacked up dude. The gospel motivates all kinds of people, even God-hating blasphemers who persecuted Christians. If God can do that in me, imagine what he could do in you. And he goes on, and he thinks of himself as Paul a servant of Christ Jesus. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. If our king is a king that serves, then we as his servants are people who serve. And he's called. He's gifted. He's equipped. God's given us everything that we need for life and godliness. 2 Peter, 2 Corinthians, we're called the ambassadors. 2 Peter, we're called, uh, we're called to a ministry of reconciliation. That we would be the people, my, my little wing is still not working quite right. I'm out of the sling and all. But every time I want to go make a big point, it looks like this. And so you, you, have, to, you have to like, I'm not saying heaven's not great. The right side's always the good stuff. I'm not downplaying the good stuff, okay? That's just as far as I get right now. And, and so I lost my point. What was I saying? It was good. Hang on. Oh, yeah, 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 Reconciliation. Thank you, General. And so God has called us to this ministry where the people who are way, 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 way over here, undeserving, actually become the people who draw together the, the spirit of God by presenting people with the gospel to those who are God-hating, persecuting, haters of others and others being hated and malice and sinful and all, all this kind of stuff. That is what we're called to. And then he says, set apart for the gospel because all of this is based on being different. It's based on the fact that Paul was called to look different in his world than he ever had. Do you remember when Paul came to faith, like, Christians were like, I mean, I believe in God, but <laughs> like, this is Paul, right? And and Barnabas Bar- Bar- is like, hey, maybe we should really minister to this guy, and and, 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 and look, let's go to straight street, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And, and people are like, wait, isn't this the guy who just led to the death of my best friend, no, come on, Paul. Come on into the church. Come on. But, th- but that's the entire point that Paul's saying, I am going to, for the rest of my life, be so different than who I was by the sheer grace of God. This is a personal calling. This was Paul's personal calling. And if the gospel is based on grace, it's our personal calling. If it's made for all, and here's the deal, not everybody's called to plant a church. I get that. Not everybody's called to uh, orphans, not everybody's called to foster care or adopt. Not everybody's called to marriage. Not everybody's called to youth ministry. Not everybody's called to children's ministry. Most of you are called to children's ministry. <laughs> but I would say, uh, I'll just, let me just pray real quick. 305 of you, I think, are called to children's ministry at least. But, but the point is, not all of us are called to that, but every one of us are called to something. And I, 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 think, I think what can happen when we're at a really good, healthy church and we're surrounded with really good people, is it can be very easy for the warm coziness of the insulating of people who love God around us. It can actually make us lose our mobility. It can actually cause us to build up dust and rust. And and yet, it's the exact opposite of what Paul is saying. If Paul was a God-hating, blaspheming persecutor, and... Whoever you were, I think all of us, hopefully, will have a story that says, this is who I was, this is my past and my sin, but Jesus and now mission. That, that's what I think all of us, our lives are supposed to be. I, I don't want that to grow cold in us. I, I don't want it to become easy. And Brad talked about that really briefly last week. And, and I think about, like, I, I was walking through this week, just kind of praying through the sanctuary. Um, and I came and I, I was praying up here and, and just thinking about, like, being the guy who's right here right now is crazy to me. I, I, I've done this since I was 18 years old, and it's still crazy to me that y'all are sitting there, like, looking at me and listening to me. That you're not just like, there's a better app, right? Like, something better is going on. That I'm con- Do you get constantly surprised by it? I am constantly surprised. That you guys are like, and you know what I'm even more surprised about? That when I was 18 years old, the first sermon I ever preached was out of um, the book of Proverbs. And I was telling parents, like, the arrow's in the quiver, which means you got to send them. If you want your kids to do what God's called them to do, you can't hold them close. you got to send them out. you got to have them prepared and all this. Like, I remember standing there at 18 years old. I still feel almost the exact same way. I'm like, why are y'all listening to a Yahoo like me who barely knows anything about anything? And, And then, like, somewhere along the line it just clicked, you guys like this. Like, you really like this. And as long as the guy who's holding it knows what he's talking about, you sort of like the guy who's holding it. And so it's almost like cheating and having friends and having a family when you know Jesus because people are like, you know, Jesus, I'm your buddy now. And she's like, wow, you know, Jesus, hey, man, we're in family together. And, and I'm, I'm blown away by this. And I think about Paul's past. My past was not Paul's past. Um, it, it wasn't. I, I grew up in, in a family that... That where a lot of you guys know my mom. My mom is incredible. It makes me think of 1 Timothy where Paul uh, talks and he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. Like for those of you who know my mom, she's like legit crazy sanctified. She's the reason I can never be proud because I can always go over to my parents' house and be like, I'm not that great, right? Like, And, and my wife calls her just like Jesus, Judy, which she hates but like that's who she's been my whole life. I I was nine years old and we were going to my buddy's house, which when you're nine years old, your buddies are typically your parents, kids, your parents, friends' kids. Those are your buddies, right? Like it's and so I was going over to Daniel's house because they had just had kittens. And we were like, oh, that'll be fun. We'll check out some kittens. So we go and I don't know, I'm nine, my sister's probably six. We see these kittens and there's this little black one, and I'm like, I like that kitten. I really like that kitten. We don't have any pets. We need a pet. I stole the kitten, like, unashamedly. Like, nobody's looking. I work it out with my sister. Like, one of us goes out to their garage, finds a box. I grab. The, I mean, it was this big. It would have fit in my pocket. I grab it. My mom's having, you know, like, mom talk, so it's going to be a while. So I put it in the box. I go to the back of our red Voyager van. I put the cat in there, and then I walk out, and that was, like, my whole plan. That's as far as I got. I was like, i got a cat, Right? So we get in the car, and we start to drive home, and it meows. And my mom's like, what was that? And I, I double down. First, I'm a, I'm a thieving person. Now I'm going to lie to my mom who loves me. Mom, I think some crickets got in the car. What was wrong with her in that moment? How is she not like, there are no crickets in the car, and crickets don't say meow. But for whatever reason, maybe it was faint enough, and we just kept going. So we get home, and I've got a cat. But my parents don't know. And again, that's as far as my plan had gotten. And so at some point, I like broke down because I was like, this thing's going to freeze to death out there. And so I'm like, hey, mom, I think you left the lights on in your car. You should go. And she comes back. She's like, there's a cat in the car. Why is there? And I'm like, oh, really? Like, man, we should get a litter box. My dad is not down for that. Somehow, by the sheer grace of God, that cat became a part of our family for an inordinate long amount of time. And that's the thing, like, my mom loved me. Even when I lied, even when I stole my mom, I was like, I still love you. And not only that, like, she, I didn't take care of the cat. I'm nine. I just, like, goof around with the thing and go do my own thing. She's the one who's dealing with all the, you know, the scoop. And then, and then the cat gets, like, IBS and stomach problems, and it lives to 15, and it throws up on the floor, like, three times a day. And my mom's just like, I serve. I serve the Lord. That's what I do. I just love my, like, that's what I grew up in. And so when, when I look at grace, I'm like, no, I get that, right? Like, I did not deserve that. And, and, and then I think about the fact that a, a good handful of you guys in this church were at the church that I grew up in, and you were father figures to me. You were guys who, who told me hard truths and, and who loved me and pointed me into what it was to be a godly man. And at a really young age, I fell in love with this thing. And I was able to start helping out in kids' church and teaching small lessons at 13 and 14 years old. And I fell in love with the Bible, and I fell in love with teaching it. So I went to summer camp, and I was like, this is awesome. Like, I can hang out with kids. I don't have to pay anything. I get to hang out with my buddies in a cabin all summer long, and all I do is tell kids about the gospel. That's all I do, week in and week out. And I did that for six years, went on staff at a church. At the time, it wasn't a gift, but I was able to see unhealthy leadership. I was on, I, I was able to see some of the, the negatives that by the sheer grace of God, we don't have in our leadership team here. And then within a number of months, God picked me up and he placed me here. Um, the church was only a couple years old at the time. And Brad was like, hey, it was different back then. Um, he's like, hey man, you want to come on staff? And I was like, all right, that sounds good. And that was it. Like we had coffee once and, and we were both like, yeah, that's good. I like this. You like this. We'll do this. Okay. We'll do it. That's like how it played out. There was, did you pray? I prayed, I think. I mean, <laughs> but it happened, you know, by God's grace. And, and I've, I've had the gift of being um, in a solid, with a guy who's solid and honest and transparent. Not for lack, I mean, we've had our issues at this church. And if you've been here, you, you know that we've, we've worked through them. But I, I've been able to see that for a decade and change. Of my, I got to see Brad get beat up and none of y'all did. Did you know that? Like, do you remember this? Like, year one or two, this guy walks into the point and says nothing. This is when we had an office building off Veterans Parkway. And he runs into Brad's office and he just tackles him to the ground. Like, I'm fresh on staff. I'm like, I did not. Like, I've seen unhealthy. I did not sign up for this. I weigh all of a buck 30 wet. And this dude just comes in and barrels over Brad and takes him to, apparently it was like a buddy in the military or something like that. that was coming to love him. Brad could have taken him if it wasn't for the element of surprise. I'll say that. And yet, in that kind of course of just kind of showing you what I look back on like Paul did and say, wow, God, thanks, and wow, God, thanks, and wow, God, thanks, there is this thought that momentum would be one of the worst reasons for me to plant a church. Well, it's just a natural next step, right? You do youth ministry for 18 years. That's not normal, by the way. And then you go and you plant a church. That's normal momentum, But as a guy who started dating a girl when she was 15 and you're 17 for six years, you don't get to the altar without thinking through momentum. Like, hang on. I am a very wise 23-year-old at this point. Am I I doing this based on momentum just because we've been together for six years? Am I doing this for that or for the glory of God? And it really all came to it. A hit three years ago. Three years ago, I told you I did camp ministry. Loved it my entire life. I, I said, all I want to do is retire and be a camp pastor. That, that's what I wanted to do. And then I got a phone call, and I got offered a really cool job uh, doing camp ministry. It would have been full-time. would have supported my family. My kids would have been able to grow. It was in Texas. Really cool setup. And I, I started getting really excited, and I started praying about it. And then something happened. The dream that I had just lost its luster. The Holy Spirit was not, it's kind of like when, you know, when Paul's like, I'm going to go here. And the Holy Spirit's like, no, you can't go there. It was like, the Holy Spirit's like, sorry, man, that, that dream is not for you. And I'm like, no, it's mine. Like, I've had it for a long time. No, 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 it's not for you. And I realized the reason it wasn't for me was because I'd fallen in love with the church. And and going there, I wasn't going to be able to be in the church. I I, I was going to be able to do mission, but I wasn't going to be able to be a part of the church. And so three years ago, I started wrestling and talking with Brad and the elders and saying, hey guys, I I think this is what God is calling me to. The gospel of grace, God's grace to us, God's grace to me motivates people like us to go. Matthew 28, if you'd flip there now. Matthew chapter 28 to the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verse 19. Actually, let's say verse 18. And Jesus came to them, came to his disciples, came to his followers, and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's all mine. I have authority over every piece of it. There's not a fiber of this planet that is not mine. So I'm sending you. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And as you do this thing, as you give your life, as you serve and as you go and you go into places of darkness, remember, behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Church planning is not about saying, hey, well, here's this guy's gifts and here's some assets and, and let's go, let's see, let's see what that would do. Or we, we've got this, we've got a team, we've got a guy who can do worship. We can do, so yeah, we can go and plant. The mission is not ours to define. The mission has always been defined by Christ. It, it, it's not defined by your hobby horse. It's not defined by your passion. It's, it's not defined by anything. It's defined by Jesus. It's not anything in us. It's not cross points cool new thing that we're going to do that's amazing, it's always been the mission. To go, to go, to make disciples, to baptize, to teach, to train, to show people, to send them on mission. And, 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 and I've worked through those things. I've, I've gone uh, through the Acts 29. I'm going through the Acts 29 assessment right now. The elders are getting together, praying. I'm meeting with lots of church planners and just talking shop and doing things. Talk to the guy that's a, a financial planner for 25 years and helps churches. He's like, well, if you go to this and there's this median income, then blah, 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 all this kind of numbers and stuff. But the mission isn't mine to define. It's not ours. If we're Christians, we're called to go. And, and, and I think about that and I think about the way we do church now. Okay, so here's my conviction point, all right? So prep. This is where I kind of want beat to beat up on us a little bit. When I think about Acts, and I think about the church of Acts, and the way that they did it, and I think about where we are now, and the way that we do church, it's as though over here, Jesus said, go, and he was doing this. And over here, Jesus was saying, go, and he was doing it like this. Like, go, 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 and do Because there's this incredible church in Antioch in in the book of Acts that we read about. In fact, it's the first place that believers were ever called Christians. It's this incredible place where Paul and Silas and John Mark and Barnabas went. It was this hub. It was a pinnacle. When Paul, who had that background, was found by Barnabas, Barnabas was like, we've got to get this guy to Antioch. It's incredible. That's what it was. And yet... What we see as we read through Acts is Paul goes to Antioch, and then he leaves it. And Barnabas is at Antioch, and he leaves it. And Silas is at Antioch, and he leaves it. And John Mark, and on and on and on it goes. And I think about the way that they did it. They had this incredible, unique, healthy church. And so do we. And they were leaving it. And then I I think about how easy it is in our culture that is so driven by consumerism. For us to be like, to realize that we're in a a city, we're in a world where it's very much, hey, I want to find a church. Not I don't want to leave a church. I want to find a church. I, I want to find a church where the preaching's really good, and it makes me laugh, but it convicts me and it's done in 35 minutes. That's what I'm looking for, right? And, and, and I want to find worship that's that's really good and it stirs me, but I don't want to be too loud, okay? So and then and then I, I also want to find community groups where I can get to know people, but maybe not those people. And then, and then certainly, certainly, there's gotta be a Bible study based on stranger things. I mean, think about it. There's dark, there's the upside down. That's what I got if as soon as I find it, right? That's my church. That's my Antioch. And in the Bible, it's just not how it played out. They were healthy and they loved the gospel and they loved people. And that was their missional strategy. We love God and we love people. And we realize that gospel is the thing that slams those two things together. That's what we're about. And that's how they did it. And the people that lived in Antioch and saw this church, they couldn't figure it out. Why is this person selling this stuff to help that person? I'd never do that. Why is this person loving this person by bringing them into their home? Why is this person taking care of this person? Why are they loving each other the way that they're loving each other? It's weird. And not only that, the people who were loving each other used to be people who hated each other. What's that? That's Antioch. It was unusual. And it, it was this... It was this bonfire of Christianity, and it drew people in, but Jesus says to go. Uh, the question that I get most often when I tell people, yeah, we're, we're planting a church in Columbus, I get one of two, I, I get, why are, why are you planting in Columbus? Don't we have a bunch of churches? Brad kind of hit on that a lot last week. We, we do have a lot of churches, we have a lot of church buildings, Um. But there are a number of strategic places in our city that are very gospel-deprived. Um, and, and then the other question that I get is, so where are you going to go? And and the answer to you is, we're praying. That, like, pray with us. I, I, I can see a handful of strategic places, too, that come to the very tip-top. But the last thing that we want to do is just be about business. You know, it, it, Psalms 127 says, um, the, the Lord, if the Lord doesn't build the house, then the laborers labor in vain. We can be about a lot of things that can seem like really good God things, but if it's not what God's building, I don't want to be a part of it. And, and, and I think about this fire, and I think about how Crosspoint's a lot like Antioch. Look, we've got, we've got our stuff. There are a lot of really good churches in our town. I, I, I'm, I'm not saying that there aren't any. But what we have here, please realize, it's pretty special. Um, it's pretty unique by the grace of God. And yet, at the same time, it's like that fire in Antioch. And if you just let it burn and burn and burn, those logs that used to have flames tend to get covered up in ash. Now, the embers are still there. But if the Holy Spirit would see fit, and this is what I'm praying for, what the elders are praying for, and how the Holy Spirit wants to do this. But if the Holy Spirit would see fit to blow into the fire that is cross point, and on one hand, remove the ash from some of us that have become insulated and, and have bought into sort of this easy version of a Christian life. And, and that ash blows away so that the ember below, that the Holy Spirit saved us in, 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 in here through the work of Jesus Christ, that that would shine brighter. That's what I want. And, and in addition to that, if the Holy Spirit would blow and embers would be launched out of the fire into the dry grass of our city where little gospel lights just begin to appear. That's my heart that God would blow into the fire, knock the ash off of us, and spread the embers. Platt, I can't put this quote up because I heard him say it. I didn't see how he said it, and I don't want to misquote him. He said something along the lines of success. He's talking about church life here. Success is not how many people come each Sunday, but how many people go on mission at the end of the day. Let's just be honest with one another. You can fake it walking in, right? Like, can Can we all agree, like, We've all done it. We've all. Some of you are wrestling with it right now. Okay, so like we've all walked in those double doors, and you can fake it. But here's the thing: you can fake it walking in, but you you won't fake it when you're walking out. We are who we are when we're outside of this building. By the grace of God, His grace to me was not in vain. Paul says, "But I am who I am, and what we have been called to be is people who gather, get breathed into by the Spirit of God, get lit up, and then we get sent out. It. it, it if, if we added 400 chairs to this place, it wouldn't be more successful. If we took 400, it, it wouldn't be less successful. It would be like somebody coming to me that hasn't known, uh, hadn't seen me in a year and a half. They haven't bumped into me since we adopted Tigner, And they come in and they're like, whoa, Will, it's good to see you, man. How's your family? And I say, we're really good. We have six of us now. We used to have five, and we were good, but now we have six, and we're really good. They'd look at me, and they'd be like, something's wrong with you in the head, brother. And, and yet, that's how we see church. That's That's how we see success. That's not success. Success is somebody saying, how's your family? And you saying, hey, this is going really well in the life of my kids, and here's what God's doing in my marriage, and this is the health that God is bringing, and this is what our struggle is. Um, Platt did this other thing where he, he brought, I'm not going to do this, he brought some people up on stage and he said, okay, I'm going to give each of you a job on a fire, uh, a fire truck, all right? You're going to be the guy who drives, you're going to be the one who runs the hoses, you're going to be in charge of the valves, you're going to be doing the little wheel thing in the very back of it that does the light, whatever. You all have jobs. So they come up on stage and he says, go, start pantomiming, which had to be like the worst Sunday ever for three of those four people and one of them was probably like all in, but, all right, so, so they go about it, right? And they're doing their thing and then Platt says, okay, stop. What's your job? And the guy up here, he's like, my job's to drive. and My job's to run the hoses. My job. He says, no, your job's to put out fires. And, and, and I think sometimes we can walk into the church that way. Here's my job. Here's my task. Here's the thing I was supposed to do. Here's what I'm gifted at. Here's what I'm not. Not growing there, right? And, th- and, and, and then we kind of insulate ourselves and build ourselves into this thing as though the Holy Spirit has stopped working in us. As though he's done with where we're already at. And he looks and he's like, no, nah, you're done. The rest of them have worry, but you, heh, way to go. I'm not calling you up because you're so solid right now. This, this is not how it plays out. Let's close out in Titus 3. If you flip back over there with me. Can we, can we, okay, great. You already did it. The gospel of grace. Remember, this is by grace that fuels us. Motivate. we got to throw that one back up. Sorry. The gospel of grace, which is what fuels us, the grace of God fuels us. It motivates us, people like us, I don't care what your past is, I don't care what your gifts are, it motivates everybody who's responded to the gospel to go, not to go, but to go. That we would constantly being grown, be being grown and used by the Holy Spirit. Why? To love others. This, this is my favorite part of the text. Titus chapter three, uh, going back to verse four. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our savior appeared that that little double word loving kindness is used only twice in the new testament once it's used about paul in the book of acts written by luke and once it's used by paul but when the goodness and loving kindness of god our savior appeared he saved us I can't help but look at that and remember that it just said we were people who were hated by others and hating one another. And then God steps in with this special loving kindness. The word is philanthropia. It's where we get the word philanthropy, like showing kindness to one another. You don't have to flip there now, and it's not going to appear on the screen. But in Acts 28, Paul gets shipwrecked, and they they wash up on this island. And as they wash up on this island, the natives come out. And it says they showed him kindness, unexpected kindness. And that is the very word that is used here that Paul was expecting. I mean, he walks up and some natives start walking up and like, what's about to play out? And they're like, hey, man, come on, let's build a campfire. We just caught this the squirrel thing. Like, come on, we're going to do this. This is going to be great. And Paul's like, what is this? They don't even know me. And they're loving me. And when we read this, this is what we see. We see that God shows us unexpected love through the work of Jesus. So we show unexpected love, loving kindness, like the Miletians, those were the natives, like the people in the church church at Antioch, like Jesus did. We get to go. We get to serve. We get to sacrifice. We get to give up staying at good churches and we get to seek the welfare of others through this unexpected God-sized love. And it's based on grace. It's not to merit it. Don't do anything to try to earn something from God. Don't do anything to try to repay God. It's grace. This, Like this message and this talk and, and these couple of weekends, it can't be about church planting first. What, what it has to be about is a group of people who are so affected by that loving kindness, philanthropia of God, this unexpected love of God's grace in uh, to us in Christ that we go, that you go. And we love others with that same kind of love. That's the goal. That's the plan. That's my heart of the church plan. And there, there, just a couple of things as, as I get ready to close this in prayer. Um, to... I don't know exactly how to say this. I I think the best way to say it is, if God wants you to be a part of the church plant, I want you to be a part of the church plant. And if God doesn't want you to be a part of the church plant, I really don't want you to be a part of the church plant. Because I trust that God knows exactly what he's doing, when he's doing it, with who he's doing it. Um, One of my favorite things to do with the boys is build Legos. And... um, Everybody who's a parent has had their kid come up to them with something that they're all proud of and you look at it and you don't want to tell them, you don't know what it is, right? Because you want to be proud and happy with them, but they come right <laughs> right right now there's something hanging up on our wall that in my opinion looks very R-rated. But one of our children was just like so proud about it. So do not come over to our house for the next few weeks unless you have already heard that precursor. But they come and they say, hey, look, look at this thing that I'm look at and you ask questions and what's this and, and how's that? And and that's how kids are with Legos, right? Like they look at this hoverboard I make. And, you know. But my favorite thing to do is to open up a brand new Lego pack with my kids. And, and here's how it plays out. I want them to do the work, right? Like I'm a good, I want them to go about doing the work, but I want to be there, I want to support them. And I don't just want to support them because I know if I'm not supporting them, then what they make is gonna look like something that might be a little R-rated, right? It's not just because of that, it's because what I do is I sit down and I put the instruction book right in front of him and I lay it down and I say, here's the deal, here's step one and he looks at step one and it's got all these wonderful pictures and, and he finds those pieces and he begins building and while he's doing step one, I look at step two and I find those pieces in this jumbled mess of colored blocks, I grab those next two, three, four and I just put it in front of him and as soon as he finishes step one, he goes to step two and he starts building and as soon as he finishes step three, because I love him and I want to be a good dad, but not only that, I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of what he's building and what he's creating because ultimately it's been a master plan of somebody before it got to him. That's what our church plant needs to be. It needs to be a group of people who are not just worried about planting a church, but are looking forward to the relationship growing element of getting to know their heavenly father deeper and bigger and wider through the process of going and sending and being exactly who he has called us to be. So pray for us. And don't just do the like, oh, okay, I'll pray for you when I remember. Like, please, mature Christians, put this on your prayer list, right? Like pull out your Evernote. Write it on your mirrors, husbands and wives. Teenagers, get out your rubber bands. Get, you know, young adults, set a phone. Pray for the church. Pray for the church plant. Pray for for my family, pray for the Stokes, pray for Kwame and Jazz and Gracie, pray for the families who are going to do leadership, pray for the location. Everybody wants to know, I promise you, I want to know more than anybody, except for my wife. I want to know more than anybody else exactly where it is, and we're praying, pray that God would give us wisdom in that, but I think very likely what is probably going to happen is that God may do something strategic within a people before he sends them to a strategic place. And, and, and if, you're, if you feel like God's calling you, maybe some of you don't want to do it, but you feel like God's like pushing you, come to the lunch next week. There's no commitment there. I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to, to pray alongside with you and see if that's something that God wants for you. Because what we all want as elders is for every person who walks in this place to see the gospel, love the gospel, and live the gospel. And it doesn't matter what God does from there. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, my, my, great, my greatest desire is that we would see the loving kindness, philanthropia of God that has been shown to us in Christ. This goodness that we could never earn that was given to us on a cross and that it would change us in such a way that it would motivate us to go and love people. And if that means that we're better at going and loving people and we stay at Crosspoint, great. If it means that we go and we love people and we go to do that through the Crosspoint through the church plant, great. If we're if we're called to go and love people and you're calling folks into foreign missions right now, great. I I don't I don't I don't care about that. I just pray that we would not be a people where ash builds up, but where the fresh wind of the Holy Spirit is constantly pouring into us in such a way that the ash is being removed. We're not concerned about insulating ourselves. The ember of faith that you have put within us would. Glow blow all the brighter, and that by your grace, you would blow even harder on some, and you would send them into the dry grass of our community and the world, and you would start these little gospel fires everywhere they go. I pray that because it's your heart, and I know that you desire to do it. So I pray that you would, in Christ's name, amen.
1: Well, let's all stand together. If you need prayer, there will be uh, pastors down front, elders down front to pray with you. Let's sing a couple songs in response.